All right, let's go ahead and get started. We are running a few minutes behind, so um, we've got an interesting discussion tonight. Welcome back to our systematic theology discussion. Uh, we are looking at number 35 in our 60-part series. Tonight we're looking at the gifts of the Spirit. And just kind of a quick review, we're in this section uh, on the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we'll, next time we'll be looking at uh, the fruit of the Spirit uh, before we move on to other topics. Uh, last time we looked at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'm mentioning that because it's going to come up again in tonight's session as well. Um, but we will kind of follow our usual format. We're going to do a little more scripture reading tonight than uh, we have been, but uh, I'm going to introduce the topic by way of reading an article to you, and uh, then we're going to do some scripture reading uh, that's related before we pause to watch our, our video with Dr. Sproul, and then uh, come back and we'll go through our overview sheet together to see what we learned and to, to ask some questions and hopefully uh, reinforce so that we will take it with us. And we'll also briefly look at uh, the passage paragraph from our confession, too, that's related. We'll do that at the end. All right, so let's start with our, uh, our article. Some Christians seem to think that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given only to some believers. But the whole sweep of Scripture points in the opposite direction. Uh, today, we discuss how God has empowered all of his people for ministry. You can get the impression in some Christian circles that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given only to some believers, but the whole sweep of Scripture points in the other direction. One of the great fulfilled promises of the Old Testament is that one day all of God's people would receive the Holy Spirit in all his fullness. It wasn't always like that. Before the time of Christ, the Holy Spirit regenerated God's people and even dwelled in and among them, However, the Spirit was not present in all his fullness in the believers who lived before Christ. When it came to spiritual gifts, only select people enjoyed the Spirit's empowerment for ministry, usually particular leaders and usually for a limited period of time. But the prophecy came that at some point in the future, all Israel would share in the fullness of all that the Spirit has for God's people. And uh, reading from Joel 2, uh, 28 and 29, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and the female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. The references to male and female, old and young, slave and free, not to mention the explicit all flesh, draw attention to the sweeping extent of this anointing. It would be quite unlike anything Israel had seen in its history. Well, with the birth of Christ, the prophecy begins to be fulfilled. John the Baptist heralds Christ's arrival by announcing that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, Luke 3.16. And then, sure enough, on the, on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus' ascension, the Spirit is given in all his fullness to all the disciples. Peter, in the, in the sermon he gives on that very day, quotes Joel chapter 2 and confirms that they are now living in the age promised by Joel in which God will pour out his spirit and his fullness on all believers, even, much to Peter's surprise, on Gentiles as well as Jews. We too, if we're followers of Christ, are living in that same age, enjoying that same enormous privilege, a privilege that Old Testament believers must have yearned for. If we're believers, we've each been given the Spirit, and with him, particular spiritual gifts. 
These gifts have been given not so that we can make much of ourselves, but so that we would serve others with them. Paul describes Christians communally as being like a human body, which has many different gifts or abilities. We have eyes, feet, ears, hands, noses, and so on. Clearly, the foot doesn't get to walk off for some t- alone time, but it doesn't get to demand that every part of the body should be like him and become like a foot. Each part of the body needs to be faithfully doing what it's been gifted to do in the service of the whole body so that the body of Christ can be what it's supposed to be. Paul said this, presumably, because then, as now, it can be tempting on the, on the one hand to use our spiritual gifts as an opportunity to draw attention to ourselves, and on the other, to take our spiritual gifts and withdraw from other believers, thus depriving them of what is, by rights, theirs. What are these spiritual gifts exactly? Paul speaks in Romans 12 of the gifts of prophecy, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and doing acts of mercy. Now clearly we should all be doing acts of mercy. We should all be serving, and so on. But some of us are particularly gifted by the Spirit in those areas. We should recognize those gifts if they've been given to us, and be sure to use them. If you give me $100 and tell me to pass it on to someone else, you'd be less than impressed if I didn't bother giving it to them, or worse, spend it on myself. Paul speaks for spiritual, of spiritual gifts again in 1 Corinthians 12, and again stresses that they're given for the good of the whole body. To, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. So those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I think that's a good introduction to our topic. Um, So before we watch our video, I want to pause here and look at some scripture because it's very relevant to what we're going to be discussing. And I think it kind of helps to uh, get this in mind before we start listening to the commentary. Oftentimes we can just go straight into the video and he'll read snippets of scripture and it goes hand in hand. But I think if we look at it first this time, we might have have it more clear in our minds as he starts to speak on the matters. So I'm going to first read um, a short passage from Acts. This is Acts 2, uh, I believe it's the first 14, let me check, uh, verses, uh, first 13 verses. And then I'm going to ask uh, Josh to read from 1 Corinthians. He's going to read uh, 12, 13, and 14. They're not terribly long chapters, uh, so bear with us. Okay, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear 
each of us in his own native language. And then it even lists here a, a list of all the different uh, people groups that were, were present. And then it says, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Okay, so that's a, a look, a partial look at Pentecost. Now let's also look at uh, what 1 Corinthians uh, 12 through 14 says, what Paul has to say. Go ahead. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is a curse. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. And to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. And to another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, Because I am not hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, Because I am not a body, I am not part of the body. It is not for this reason any less, any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healers, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? 
All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I will show you still more excellent way. Chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and, not, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with the childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Chapter 14. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For one, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation, or of knowledge, or of prophecy, or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? But if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, perhaps, a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you were zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let no one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. 
What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say, Amen, at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind, so that I may instruct others also, rather than ten thousand words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the church, if the whole church assembles together, and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a song, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to be subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's command. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak in tongues. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Thank you. All right. <clears throat> Try to kind of, as it's a lot, but try to keep it in mind as we watch our video and listen to the commentary, and then hopefully that'll lead to some good discussion afterward. All right, so let's pause and watch the video now. All right, well, hopefully that was a helpful video. Let's uh, let's go through our overview to see what we learned and to ask some questions and have a little discussion here. So we're at number 35, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, by way of introduction. 
Christ has given the church gifts of the Holy Spirit in order to edify and strengthen the entire body. Here we explore the different views of spiritual gifts and examine the validity of spiritual gifts in the context of our day. Overview. More has been written on the Holy Spirit in the last 50 years than in the 2000 previous years. The charismatic movement has had a great impact on Protestantism and Catholicism. Both the subject of tongues and the broader question of the gifts of the Spirit have become popular and academic areas of interest. Is the speaking in tongues in Acts the same as what happened to the church at Corinth? At Pentecost, the miracle was more in the hearing than in the speaking. It was a miracle of translation, not a production of languages. However, this isn't taught explicitly in Acts, so we must be careful not to speculate too much. In Corinth, we see a miracle of language, but that miracle is not uniformly reproduced in church history. Since the manifestation of tongues has varied in almost every way throughout history, it brings into question whether the event in Corinth is the baseline for the continuance of what we think of as the gift of tongues. He talks about, is the revival of tongues a sign of the latter rain? And was the tongues speaking in Corinth miraculous or a natural and permitted event? In 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, which we read, we find the most lengthy discussion of spiritual gifts in Scripture. One of the most popular chapters in Scripture is 1 Corinthians 13. Paul writes in the midst of his discussion of spiritual gifts a poetic and powerful dissertation on love. This must be our basis for the use of gifts. In chapter 12, Paul states that he does not want people to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Clement, at the end of the first century, writes the Corinthians and reminds them of Paul's letters, encouraging them to obey them. They were still struggling with the misuse of the gifts, among other issues. In chapter 12, 1-10, through 10, Paul lists various manifestations of the Holy Spirit present in the church. However, there is no reason to believe this is an exhaustive list, as these gifts are diverse. Chapter 12, 1-13 discusses the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we talked about last time. Paul teaches that all Christians have been baptized by the Holy Spirit, contradicting Pentecostal teaching. He also shows that the entire body has been equipped to minister, not just a, not just a designated few. Clearly taught here is the priesthood of all believers, which was emphasized by the Reformers. Chapter 12, 14 through 26 illustrates the need to allow this diversity to exist without limiting it or emphasizing one gift over the other. Paul then lists offices and gifts in the church, putting tongues last. Some are called best gifts, and apostleship is demonstrated to be a more important office. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14, revisits his straightforward teaching concerning the gifts. In what sense does Paul use the word prophecy here? We, we talked about that in the video. In 4 through 6, Paul seems to clearly designate the tongues in Corinth as different from those in Acts. Focusing on verse 6, tongues then and now were unintelligible. But they do not necessarily seem to be supernatural, but rather a natural event of religious ecstasy. People may be speaking in tongues, and this speaking may be speaking with God, 
but it does not require miraculous enabling any more than normal prayer does. Tongues takes place in many religions, and there is no discernible difference between the various religious <coughs> ecstatic expressions in other religions and the experience of Christians who speak in tongues. Paul continues in verses 6 through 19 to show how this gift is to be used. The accent is on order and not disorder. Although tongues are not bad, according to Paul, prophecy is better. The warning for us is that we not exalt this particular gift as a sign of spirituality. It is not a sign of special empowerment of God. All right, so let's look at our questions and answers, which is a helpful review to us. What was the nature of the miracle at Pentecost? Hearing. The miracle was that people were hearing different languages in their native tongue. Does the gift of tongues that occurred at Corinth have uniform continuity throughout church history? No. Sparse evidence exists for such continuity after the first century. This challenges the assumption that Corinth's experience was normative. The priesthood of all believers is emphasized by the fact that spiritual gifts are given to whom? The whole church. The whole church is equipped to exercise their gifts in order to minister, serve, encourage, and edify each other. According to the Apostle Paul, what is better than speaking in tongues? Prophecy. Speaking in tongues builds up the individual, but prophesying builds up the church. And again, he, he talks about what's meant by prophesying here, and that is um, clearly presenting the truth of God, not revelatory prophecy. What gift should believers pursue above all other gifts? Love. Paul teaches that gifts are pointless if they are not practiced in love. What is the primary function of the gift of prophecy? To explain God's truth. When Paul is encouraging people to prophesy, he is, re he is referring to the ability to articulate the truth of God, which can be observed when a preacher preaches or a Christian bears witness to the faith. Let's look at our discussion questions now. Are the tongues and acts identical to the tongues in 1 Corinthians? Why or why not? No, it's, um, the, the tongues and acts, the, the event in Acts of Pentecost was a, it was a, a miracle of translation and not a production of languages. So it was, uh, rather they were they were hearing in their own language rather than somebody else speaking a different language. Right. Right. And then as far as we see in, in Corinthians, uh, they're speaking in, in an unknown tongue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. What is the evidence that the miracle at Pentecost was a miracle of hearing? And what is the evidence against this position? The scriptures themselves. Yeah, do you remember what we read just yeah. in Acts 2? Yeah, it's, it's pretty black and white. We read it for verbatim answer. But, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, it's, I don't think there's any getting around that. But, um, they're amazing. Uh, and when the, the sound occurred, the crowd came together and, they, and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing and speaking his own language. Mm -hmm. um, it seems pretty just in the way that Yeah. I think it would be definitely much harder to make an argument against than, than for there. I think it's pretty clear. Mm -hmm.
Um, I know he says it's not explicit, but it's maybe one step shy of explicit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, what is the evidence that the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians is a language miracle? And what is the evidence against this position? So you remember what we read in, in 1 Corinthians about it. About it being unintelligible without an interpreter, right? So that seems like pretty good evidence that it's a uh, it's a difference in the language rather than a difference in hearing, right? Okay, uh, what passage of scripture reveals the most information about spiritual gifts? Hint, what did we read? <laughs> Come on, Misty. <laughs> yes, First Corinthians 12 through 14. Finally, have all Christians been baptized by the Holy Spirit? If you were here for our last session, I hope you can answer that question. <laughs> yes. They, uh, all, all true Christians have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. There is no um, haves and have-nots in the Christian community. Yeah, I'm going to keep waiting for my second lesson to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, and then uh, before we wrap up, I want to just read a short paragraph from our confession that's related um, to the discussion here. If you have your confession, you can open it. It's short. You can just listen if you want. But uh, this is, I believe, in um, chapter 26. Yes, chapter 26 of the church. And we'll be looking at paragraph 11. You got it? Okay. Chapter 26, paragraph 11. Although it be incumbent on the bishops or pastors of the churches to be instant in preaching the word by way of office, yet the work of preaching the word is not so peculiarly confined to them, but that others also gifted and fitted by the Spirit for it, and approved and called by the church, may and ought to perform it. So this uh, is clear in our confession, the idea of the priesthood of believers, that each and every Christian is fitted and ought to preach the word of God, at least insofar as ministering to an unbelieving world. So that is definitely in our confession. thought that would be, be helpful to briefly look at. There were a couple other paragraphs in our confession that are kind of uh, related a little bit to gifts of the Spirit, but I thought I'd save them for next time. We're going to look at uh, fruits of the Spirit next time. Any comments or questions before we wrap this up? It's a good session. Yeah. So was, I guess I didn't really get the clear answer or not, but is was Dr. Stroll stating that what we see in Pentecostalism, you know, those, it's almost seems like a new religion to me, but um, and the Pentecostal sects and things like that, the more charismatic, heavily charismatic sects, um, are they, are you saying that that possibly could be 
spiritual and not just a bunch of people making gibberish? It felt to me like he was he was trying to be one step shy of being dogmatic about it, um, but he was I think implying uh, that it probably is not genuine. Um, and for certain, speaking in tongues today, if it still occurs, many think it, it does not legitimately still occur. But if it does, it is, we know that it is not revelatory, so we have a closed canon. And we believe that it is not miraculous, so it would be a, a natural uh, circumstance, not a supernatural. Um, so yeah, I thought he wasn't ruling out the possibility that maybe... Uh, actual speaking in tongues from um, uh, communication with the Spirit and with God and, and more of a private prayer language, as I've heard it called, uh, be a possibility today. But that, as you heard him talk about, it should never be considered a special empowerment uh, of the Spirit. And, and I think that's what the Pentecostal church holds up, uh, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a very special sign. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, when the second blessing comes into the name receive the Holy Spirit and they're basically told that if they don't speak in tongues then they're not truly saved and so on. Right, right. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's what kind of I've read. Or at the very least you're a second class Christian, right? If you haven't been gifted that yet. Yeah. yeah. I guess it just kind of caused me to raise a bit of an eyebrow um, in the way that it was worded that um, they do not necessarily seem to be supernatural, but rather a natural event of religious ecstasy. And I don't know. That's one of them things that it just like I, I get that he wasn't necessarily helping you say trying to put God in the box or something like that. Right. Um I don't at the same time I just I have a hard time not being dogmatic <laughs> Well, I mean, you you would be in some good company. There's a lot of a lot of theologians that believe that after the apostolic age, the speaking of tongues ceased. Uh, so anything that that's like that today is, is a falsehood, um, or at least fooling yourself. Even if the person is is genuine about it, they're yeah. fooling themselves. Yeah. Um, and so you'd be in some good company there. But yeah, I think he was trying not to be dogmatic because we don't have a, a verse that says, oh, by the way, <laughs> right. yeah. after the apostles are gone, there will be no more speaking in tongues. Yeah, yeah I guess I, I, don't know. I, I can't necessarily... I don't know if it makes me a full cessationist or not, but the way that I've always viewed it was that, you know, as far as the spiritual, uh, I call them the shining gifts, the, 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 the <laughs> solid gifts, you know, the very um, sign gifts, Mm-hmm. Um, have ceased in the sense to where, like, you know, God does not give a particular person to have the ability to heal people with the, just the, the passing of their shadow. Right. Rather, God does do miracles in and of His own accord, you know. And I guess I do appreciate that how He's pointing out that, like, that wasn't one of those sign gifts, you know. This right. was more along the lines of just people. Getting overly zealous. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, if it exists genuinely, it is not supernatural. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Any further thought? Look forward to our next session. Um, Josh, do you mind uh, closing us in prayer? Yeah. Father, Come before you in the name of your Son, his righteousness. For no apart from him, we have no part with you. 
Uh, we thank you so much for this opportunity to meet on this Tuesday night and come together and uh, learn about folks that have gone before us and delve deep into your word and have come and brought forth uh, these wonderful gems and truths about you. Lord, thank you for upholding this truth all the way through the generations and generations of your church. And, and even sketching out the blueprints and pointing from the very beginning of the foundations of the earth to your son. And Lord, we, we earnestly ask and desire that you would multiply the love that you've given to us through your son. Uh, that the, the mark of the Christian of truly having a content love towards the brethren would be continually grown in all of us. Most of all, Lord, that it would be an outpouring of an understanding of your love for us. God, please be with us as we go home tonight. and uh, Please let even these things uh, be seeds for the gospel in our children, that they would come to know you at an early age. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And uh, sometimes I just thought of and forgot to mention, and it has to do with what your question was. Um, just thinking about this, if, if we agree that if it occurs, it, it's not supernatural, it's not miraculous, then how how could you have an interpreter? Right? If there's nothing supernatural there, how could someone interpret gibberish if there's not a supernatural effect going on? So, yeah. just, a, just a thought there. Uh, one I want to just fall back on is that God is a God of order and not chaos. Right. And never convince me that it doesn't matter if you're wearing a five-piece suit and tie <laughs> and have just all the order to your gibberish, it's still gibberish. It's still not orderly. <laughs>